What happens when a heavy door is shut in our face? Do we panic? Do we crumble inside? Or does something inside stir us to keep moving forward? Right about now, every person on the planet has this foreboding feeling that whispers how something even more terrible is on its way. With so much news reporting from so many varying voices, it's hard to figure out where truth might be right now. We don't know if this is a short-term thing or an extended reality. We just don't know what we don't know because we've never seen anything quite like this before. How do we respond to any of this? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Hey, it's Andy, and this is the 64th episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. detail, historical context that puts you in the action. Dory, the memory-impaired Pacific blue tang fish from Finding Nemo, had it right. Okay, well, maybe she was blindly optimistic, but she kept on moving forward because she had hope. As Christ followers, we have a hope that goes beyond blind optimism. Our hope is in the one who began reappearing over the course of a month and a half in a familiar yet very different body to more than 500 people some three days after enduring a public and grueling death. Like I said, it wasn't a one-time appearance. He appeared over and over to several individuals and groups for the next month and a half training and teaching them. And if that wasn't enough, the culmination of his extended time spent with his people was with his departure. Here, he gathered a number of people together to watch him ascend up into the clouds and beyond. This resurrected hope not only tells us that there is life after death, but that it is the life worth pursuing the most. Our hope is in the God who makes immortality possible. And that is a hope worth sharing. So today, we'll journey with Paul and four other men who have opted to travel with him to the unknown. Will Paul make it to Colossae or Ephesus, or does God have other plans? Well, let's listen in and find out. And so with that, let's get started. The cold marine layer hangs just above the seaport in Troas as traces of light begin to reveal the hint of dawn over the hills to the east. Come on, son, Gaius desperately says aloud as he moves closer to the other men to keep warm. Yeah, I'm not exactly used to this either, Silas admits while moving closer to the huddle. Jerusalem tends to be a bit warmer this time of year. We're pushing off, the ship's captain gruffly announces as he passes by the five men. Paying little attention to those around them, he inspects a part of the ship's hull for damage after having hit the pier a little too roughly on their way in. He angrily shakes his head and looks back up towards the ship's deck. Spitting out a string of expletives at a person who isn't within earshot, he finally looks back to see a crowd of faces staring back at him. Calming himself in front of his new audience, he then tersely says, It'll hold for now. Get on board. He walks by the wide-eyed group of newly anxious people and returns up a thin plank that connects the ship's deck to the pier below. As the day warms, the ship heads into uncertainty of a choppy sea. 
Paul looks over at Timothy, who lay sprawling over the deck. He shakes his head in pity, looks over at Luke, and asks, Is there anything that we can do for this guy? He's never been on a boat before, huh? Luke asks. I guess none of them have. Paul nods over to Gaius and Silas, who look no better off than Timothy. Luke chuckles at the scene in front of him. You've got quite an army here, he quips. Paul laughs at this. Yep, may God's strength be found in our weakness. So, Luke begins, I'm fascinated by this voyage that I suddenly find myself on. Showing new interest, he begins asking a number of questions. You've never been this way before? No, Paul responds. This is all somewhat new for me. When Silas and I started out in Antioch, Assyria, we thought we were going to revisit the churches in Roman Galatia and then move towards Asia afterwards. So when we nearly overstayed our welcome in Antioch of Pisidia, wait, Luke says, what do you mean? Well, let's just say that some of the townspeople and leaders weren't too enthusiastic about our return, Paul muses. Trying to better understand, Luke asks, so you've been there before? Paul laughs as he relives the scene. Yes, twice. The first time around, Barnabas and I traveled to Pisidia after hearing of a family connection from Sergius Paulus. He was the guy governing Paphos of Cyprus at the time. I'm not sure if he still is now. But anyway, we sailed to Pamphylia and eventually made our way up to Pisidia. Okay, Luke says. So what happened? Well, Sergius Paulus's cousin, Hermione, took us in. Paul continues. She didn't have to, but she cared for me after getting really sick for a short while. Though I was slow to get back on my feet, we went to the synagogue there in Pisidia, and he stops to look back at the other men who haven't moved in hours. Do you think they're okay? And Luke mimics as he waves the others off. They'll be fine. And what? Well, we stirred up some mixed feelings there, Paul responds. Rabbi Yosh and Mordecai were amicable enough. In fact, Mordecai now helps with leading the church there. Anyway, they were both receptive, but some of the other Jewish leaders there were not. A guy named Japheth saw us as a threat and pretty much rallied the town's leadership against us. Thought we were conspiring against Rome, or at least that's what Japheth led them to think. Sounds like things were getting pretty stormy, Luke says. Well, then what happened? Well, they went to find us at Hermione's, Paul says. They, Luke says, who, who came to find you? The whole town, I think, Paul says. We were already gone by the time they got there. Thank God Mordecai rushed over to let us know before they came to the house. I barely had any strength, but sticking around was not a good alternative. So Barnabas and I, we met a number of believers and those who were interested in learning more back in the ravine behind the city. We said our goodbyes, but we knew we had to return someday. Wow, that's quite a story, Luke says. So did they ever catch up with you? With his head tucked between his knees, Paul laughs at this question. Well, eventually, yeah. Well, we went over to Iconium, and upon hearing that we were making an impact in that city like we had in Pisidia, the leaders from Pisidia got wind of it and told the leaders of Iconium. So they chased us out from there as well. Eventually, we made it down to Lystra, which is where that sea lover over there, Paul points to Timothy and chuckles, is from. After God had healed a man who couldn't walk, we... Luke places up an arm and says, wait, wait, hold on. What do you mean? Tariq, 
Paul fondly remembers. That was his name, Tariq. He was a guy who was handicapped from birth. He could never walk. And he had pretty much been the butt of everyone's jokes in Lystra, an outcast among his own people. How, what did you, confused by not knowing the right question to ask, Luke wonders aloud, why did you heal him? Surprised by the question, Paul responds, well, it wasn't me, man. This was all God. When I looked over at the poor guy, unable to walk and regarded as the curse of Lystra, that's how the town referred to him as a curse. I just knew God would use this as an opportunity to reveal himself to the people of that city. So I told him to stand up. God took it from there. You just told him to stand? Luke asks. That's it? Yeah, Paul responds. That's it. Luke grins at this. I can only imagine what must have been going through his head. What a cruel prank, he says. Paul nods his head and agrees. Yeah, which is why I didn't take my eyes off of him. Those around me were laughing and thinking the same thing. Wow, that's harsh, I heard somebody say. But Tariq did not take his eyes off of mine. That is, until he began trying. He then looked down at his feet and began to feel something he'd never felt before. Luke shakes his head in awe and says, How did you know to say, stand up and walk? That took some serious guts on your end. Paul shrugs and replies, I don't know. I just sensed that God was going to use that moment to change the city's mind about us. And he did. So what happened next? Luke asks. Well, (laughs) they thought Barnabas was Zeus and I was Hermes, Paul says with a laugh. No, Luke responds. No way. What did they do? As you might expect, Paul replies, the whole town went into a frenzy to make preparations for sacrificial worship. Yikes, Luke exclaims. Not what you were going after. (laughs) Not at all, Paul says. There I was, yelling at the top of my lungs, trying to convince them that I represented the one God who has created all things and that they needed to turn away from their idol worship. I then said that they needed to turn to worship God who has revealed himself through me. But the crowd was so unruly that it ignored me. And that is when it happened. What? What what happened? Luke asks. Right when the town was going berserk, things suddenly became much worse when the leaders from Iconium and Pisidia rode in through the city gates. They then focused on me, making me out as the bad guy in front of the whole town and had me publicly executed by stoning. The townspeople were so worked up that they just went along with it. Whoa, is all Luke can say for the moment. Finally, he says, but somehow you're here telling me the story. Yeah, Paul replies. They left me for dead. Barnabas... Timothy, his mom, and some others came out to see if I was still alive. What can I say? But by God's grace, I'm still here, finding new ways to get us into even more trouble. Luke laughs at this and grows quiet for a time. Both sit in silence to absorb the ship's movement and the sea around them. Breaking the silence, Luke finally asks, I imagine that you've had a number of stories like this. Paul laughs. Too many to number, he says. I think it would be good for others to hear this, Luke offers. God has obviously been with you, and I know that I, for one, would be encouraged to hear how. 
I can only imagine this would be true for others. Paul nods. Well, that's funny that you should say that, he says. I don't understand, Luke says. Telling our stories about Jesus, his ministry, his resurrection, the expanding of the church and our own experiences, Paul says. That's why we were aiming to head over to Colossae, Laodicea, and Asia. But he stops himself. But why did we... He stops himself again. But you didn't go into Asia, did you? Luke asks. Didn't you come directly to Troas? Paul looks over at Luke and shrugs. Well, not exactly, he says. We started working our way towards Colossae, but something urged us to go north, not west. The others must have thought I was crazy. There were plenty of cities of people not unlike those in Perga or Iconium or Pisidia, places like Ephesus or even Pergamum. Why not those cities? But that's not what I kept on hearing. No, Paul, that's not where I'm sending you. So we went north as far as Mysia. Okay, let's head over to Bithynia. I figured maybe Byzantium. So we were making our way there. But I kept on hearing, No, Paul, that's not where I'm sending you. Pergamum? I asked. But the voice came back with the same answer. No, Paul, that's not where I'm sending you. What do you do with that? Paul asks. I was getting exasperated. So we cut through Mysia and went towards the coast to Troas. Paul smiles at the scene in front of him and says, Only now am I beginning to get it, but you can imagine my frustration. Luke smiles at this and says, It's a good thing I've given up the healing life. Paul laughs. Yeah, no more Asclepius for you, huh? Though your training will come in helpful. I'm just glad that you are more than willing to join us. And miss out on the next story? Are you kidding? Luke responds. I wouldn't miss this for the world. They pause to see Gaius stir with some of his color regained. Luke calls out, Sleep well, young Gaius. Gaius collapses his head back into his arms and becomes motionless once more. Poor kid, Luke says. Maybe they'll catch their wind once we get to Samothrace. He turns back to face Paul and continues, Which gives me some time to ask you more questions. Like, Paul asks, Like, why are we on a boat heading to Macedonia when, like you said, there are a lot of towns throughout Anatolia? Luke asks. Yeah, well, Paul responds, after we met with the believers in Troas and, of course, meeting you, I had a fairly crazy vision. Oh, Luke asks. Yeah, Paul begins to ramble. I don't know if I was dreaming or what, but it was so real. A guy, though I don't know who he was, just some guy, I guess. He was from Macedonia. I have no idea how I knew he was from Macedonia, outside of the fact that I just knew that's where he was from. Okay, Luke says. So, Paul continues. The man was standing on a rocky shoreline. I'm guessing on a beach somewhere along the Macedonian coast. Anyway, he was waving at me to come over to him. He wasn't just waving, he was waving frantically, like someone who was desperate for us to come and rescue him from something. As we came closer, he begged for us to come closer and closer still. Finally, we could hear him yell out, Please, please, I'm begging you, come to Macedonia and help us. We need you here. Luke rolls his eyes and looks off to the sea. Eventually, he begins to laugh heartily. Smiling himself, Paul then asks, What's so funny? (laughs) So, let me get this straight. You had a vision, Luke says while looking back at the sea. 
And here we are on a boat venturing to who knows where in Macedonia with three sickly stowaways and a vision? Well, Paul says with a chuckle, yeah. Placing his face into his hands, Luke looks back at Paul with a moment of realization and says, okay. Well, we're going to stop here for today. Like Abraham, who would travel to a place where God would reveal only as he goes, God has called Paul to do the same. Without knowing why, Paul and the others are turned away from going into Asia, that is, southwestern Turkey, which includes cities like Colossae, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, Smyrna, and Ephesus, kind of that revelation route. Also, without knowing why, Paul and the others are blocked from going into Bithynia in Byzantium, which is modern-day Istanbul. How did the Spirit of God notify them? Well, we're not totally sure. Was it a set of circumstances like weather? Well, maybe. Were there some sensitive political matters taking place? Maybe. Well, whatever it is, Paul sensed that they needed to travel north by northwest towards the coast. Curiously, that is where he meets Luke. Well, how do we know that? Well, we don't have much evidence except that Luke begins using the pronouns us and we instead of they and them beginning in Acts 16, starting in Troas. Incidentally, Luke then stops using us and we later on in Acts 16:17 after the group reached Philippi and Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, thereby removing himself from the narrative. Evidently, Timothy, Gaius, and Luke avoided being arrested and took a back seat in the narrative for a time. Later in Acts 17:14, we see how Timothy and Silas traveled with Paul to Thessalonica and later to Berea. They remained in Berea for a time, whereas Paul was chased out of that town. But we're not sure what happened to Gaius and Luke at this time. It's very possible that they stayed back in Philippi to support the church there. Later, we see Gaius accompanying Paul in Ephesus shortly before being dragged into the amphitheater by an unruly mob. That's Acts 19.29. But I purposefully gave attention to the interactions between Paul and Luke during their downtime because much of Luke's writings, specifically here in Acts, would come from these extended times spent with Paul. With Luke's eyes for details, especially as a Greco-Roman trained physician, which, by the way, hints that if Luke did have any Jewish roots, they were well infused with a strong dose of Hellenism. Any Jewish medical science in existence at this time was completely adopted from Greek and Roman practice. And standard practice would most likely include a solid understanding of Asclepius, the god of medicine, and the findings of Hippocrates, the father of medicine. And as you might imagine, those with a rigid Jewish background would have had some theological trouble here. And so consequently, there weren't many Jewish doctors back then. Anyway, as a trained medical professional, Luke had an eye for detail and a capacity to narrate accordingly, making him a great candidate for writing his two-part gospel, that is, Luke and Acts. So let's get into the takeaways. Much like we discovered with Abraham last week, Paul and the gang are going without knowing where their going might lead. Nevertheless, they move forward and God rewards them along the way. So what does this mean for us? First, 
roll with the punches. Yes, it's good to have a plan in place, but realize that God needs us to be flexible in such planning. Our flexibility will be the difference between stalling or staying open to watch new opportunities unfold. Maybe you've heard it this way, blessed are the flexible, for the flexible will not break in times of crises. Second, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You know the song Dory would sing throughout Finding Nemo? Like I said before, she was right. Our biggest downfall is when we become paralyzed with anxiety or fear that keeps us from moving forward. Our best course of action, no matter how scary things might become, is to keep swimming, believing that God will open windows of opportunity as we go. Hope is what keeps us moving, and like I said before, we have a hope that measures beyond any hope this world could possibly offer. Our hope is the resurrection and the life, namely Jesus himself. Jesus emphasized this when he sought to admonish Martha, who lost sight of that, especially after losing her brother Lazarus. Martha forgot who she was with. Picking up in John eleven twenty one through 25 Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, Yeah, he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. In light of the fact that Lazarus was dead, Jesus raised him from the dead right then and right there just to show Martha who he was and who she was dealing with. Folks, in light of the trauma we're all feeling right now, just don't forget who we are with. Third, band together. Right now, the worst thing you can do is to isolate yourself from others. While quarantine rules makes this even more challenging, you can still be praying for one another over the phone, over FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, or on any number of platforms. I love the fact that we have the technology available to us this way. Please connect with one or two others. Pray for each other every day if need be. Isolation will keep you from number two, that is, just keep swimming. We need each other in order to keep swimming. So roll with the punches, just keep swimming, and band together. That's what each of us needs, not only to live with any level of success, but it's what we all need to keep the kingdom fresh in our minds and our hearts. May you find somebody here in our church to band together with. May God move your relationships with one another to a whole new level of joy, even though we're going through this difficult time together. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Let's move forward together.